You're listening to the Weed Smart Podcast. Each podcast, we look at what's going on in each cropping region, focusing on those pesky weeds. Welcome to another week of the Weed Smart Podcast. I'm joined again by my co-host, Pete Newman. How are you going, Pete? Yeah, great, Jess. And you? I'm good. And harvest is well underway. Very exciting. We're seeing great pictures online on Twitter of everyone's different approaches to harvest. So that's great. Yes, we're about halfway through where I am here in Geraldton and going better than expected, which is always good. Still not a good season for lots of people, but better than expected. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, actually, Pete, speaking of harvest, last week I got to go out on a harvester and a chaser bin for the first time. I've been in ag for like six years, but Mm. Kit Leake, one of our champion farmers at Ari, he invited us out to the farm while they were harvesting, and for the first time ever, I got to go on a harvester. There you go. What did you learn when you were on there? Well, I sort of know the basics of harvest, but I guess just the experience of actually being in the cabin and seeing it for yourself, seeing the wheat go through the harvester, it's pretty pretty cool sight to see. So it was yeah, a really great Yeah, so you were experience. harvesting wheat? Yes. Excellent, excellent. Yes. Yeah, it's always good. And so you've never been on a harvester where someone actually held the steering wheel then, Jess? No, I haven't. And you probably never will be. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there you go. What have you been up to, Pete? I hear that you've taken up on a new role as well in the water sports area. I have. I live on the coast. I'm pretty keen on my water sports. I've got two young daughters who are 10 and 12, and so I am the surf club, Geraldton Surf Club under 12 age manager. So I've got 23 children I've got to take out into the surf uh, (laughs) of a range of abilities. It's quite, it's great fun and it is a little daunting. Yeah, but it's really good. On the weekend it was, we get lots of southerly winds at this time of year and it was southerly wind pretty decent swell and big heaps of seaweed had come in and I'd I'd gone down there with this preconceived idea that I was going to get the stronger kids and we're going to swim out the back of the breakers and got about halfway out and we were absolutely choked in seaweed (laughs) and uh, and big waves coming down on us so I just didn't know whether all the heads were going to keep popping up under, under that seaweed but yeah, lots of the kids we managed to get out the back and they stuck with it and swam out the back through the seaweed and the break. It's really great. That's awesome. What about you, Jess? Continuing with the water sports theme, I hear you've taken up a new water sport. Yes, stand-up paddleboarding and we had our second lesson yesterday. You don't really need lessons for stand-up paddleboarding, but it just, my sister wasn't confident with it. She'd never done it before, so we took up a course. But I'm a bit cheeky and... We saw the dolphins out in the bay and the instructor said we could see if we could go closer to the dolphins and I just sort of pretended I didn't hear him when he said stop and (laughs) I just kept going. How close did you get? I was about 150 metres away still, so a safe distance. But, yeah, I wanted to get within maybe 10 or 20 metres. But, yeah, so I decided I'd better turn around because, uh, yeah, otherwise I would have been in big trouble, I think. Nick wouldn't have been happy. Awesome. You'll have to go to Monkey Maya. They come right under the board up there. Yeah, that's on my bucket list. But anyway, we better get into the podcast. If people have been following us on Twitter, they would have seen that we've recently just finished up our webinar series on spray drift. And Pete, today we're going to be hearing from Chris O'Donnell from the University of Queensland. And he's going to be actually talking to us about a spray drift calculator. So nice and topical for the theme we've been running with for this month. And it's a really great tool to be able to get your nozzles right and make sure that everything is in check to make sure you're not going to have any spray drift. It's a it's an important issue, isn't it, Pete? It really is. And we've had a couple of great webinars. We had just 
had Bill Gordon on talking about spray drift and there's so much to it. But I guess we've always walked a fine line between drift and efficacy. You know, if you've got fine droplets, sometimes that can be good for efficacy but really bad for drift and on the other end of the scale, very coarse droplets can be bad for efficacy but good for drift. But I think what we've learned with Bill Gordon is when you get it, you can get it just right these days, efficacy and low drift and I guess that's what the spray drift calculator is all about. That's right. And if you did miss out on this webinar series, we are uploading them to the WeedSmart website. So you can check out the WeedSmart website under webinars. And they one's already uploaded. The one with Dr. Tom Mueller is up there already. And we will have the one with Bill Gordon up very shortly as well. But yes, let's take a listen to Dr. Chris O'Donnell. He's a research fellow at the School of Agriculture and Food Sciences at UQ and he'll be talking about this spray drift calculator. Let's take a listen. How are you going, Chris? Yeah, good, thanks, Jessica. Now, we're really excited because you're going to be talking at the Cropping and Resistance Forum, which is on December 6th in Dolby, and you're going to be talking about the Australian Ground Spray Calculator. So, we're going to find out a little bit more about that. Can you tell us what it actually does? Yeah, sure, uh, Jessica. It's actually a, um, it's a decision support tool that provides uh, spray applicators with information on four key attributes, and these are, uh, first one's droplet size, second one's spray quality, the third one is target coverage, and the fourth one is uh, potential. So it's actually a unified tool that gives uh, spray applicators a science-based reliable information to help with their drift management strategies, and it contains data that's specific to real tank mixes and nozzles. Yeah, great. Yeah, because that is something that people do really... I guess at times struggle with getting those numbers right and using the right nozzles and that kind of thing. But uh, can you give us a little bit more information of why it was developed in the first place? The, the backstory on this, I guess, it goes back to, to March 2010 when the APVMA sort of implemented a new policy that requires new pesticides to be assessed for the potential risk of spray drift. So from, from the 1st of March 2010, label instructions could now contain statements that describe mandatory no-spray buffer zones in, in the downwind direction at the time of spray application. These new regulations were, were brought in in response to uh, numerous incidents of, of multi-million dollar spray drift in, in cotton, viticulture, hort crops, etc., uh, mainly in New South Wales, Victoria and South Australia. But the APBMA sort of recognised that these new measures were, were restrictive and would prevent growers from being, being able to use uh, many pesticides because of their farm size and proximity to sensitive areas. So in November 2010, they provided, I guess, an amendment to the policy which came under the title of uh, Drift Reduction Technology Program. So conceptually, this scheme allows for, for applicators with access to verified technologies and procedures that reduce pesticide drift to access smaller downwind buffer distances than those presented on product labels. So GRDC funded a program called Core DRT Databases to support the ground application of pesticides, accommodating nozzles, formulations and adjuvants. And that's, that's the actual title of the project, and it ran between uh, 2012 and 2015. Right. Um, I, I guess I, I should actually add something else uh, here, and that is that a very big problem that applicators have is that there's actually no reliable data on droplet size for real tank mixes. So they, they can get data for water, but this is actually quite dangerous to use because as soon as any chemical is added to the water, there are changes that take place with the, the liquid's physical properties and that liquid will now atomise completely differently. So with plain water, you might have coarse spray quality through a particular nozzle, but it's not unusual to see that spray quality go from coarse to medium 
or even from coarse to medium down to fine when you add chemicals to, to the water or tank mix with the yeah, same right. nozzle. So, Chris, this all sounds really cool. How does that actually work in practice for a grower or an agronomist using it? Well, the, the calculator has uh, several tabs on it. Now, the first tab is one we just call calculator, where they, they select the, the nozzle manufacturer, the, the nozzle type, for example, AIXR or AI or TT, then, then they select their nozzle orifice size that they're using. Most farmers in broadacre ag use O2s, O15s or, or O25s. They then select the pressure they're operating their, their boom sprayer at. They choose the spray angle for their nozzle. They then go to a drop-down tab where they select the tank mix. Uh, for example, the one I've got in front of me, it says 2% Roundup attack. They can then select an adjuvant, the sprayer speed. And once all that information is filled into the boxes, a little table on the right becomes populated. And, and that information is quite important because it gives them the spray quality for those parameters that they've, they've just selected. So the spray quality might be coarse, it might be medium, it might be fine. But it also gives them a little indication of their uh, drift potential, the percentage of driftable fines that will be uh, generated using those um, parameters. And it also shows them their potential coverage in number of drops per um, square centimetre. Okay, cool. The next tab then, it gives them the main droplet size metrics that they're probably sort of used to, things like what they call the DMD or the DV.5, uh, the DV.1 and the DV.9. Uh, but it also plots a curve showing where that nozzle sits relative to the ASABE reference curves. So, for example, the, the, the one that I, I've chosen uh, just in front of me now shows that they've got a medium spray quality and, and that curve is plotted against the other reference curves. Uh, nice visual effect. The next little tab is uh, a simulated coverage on water-sensitive paper. Now, there are uh, three water volume rates included in, in this sort of table. And it just gives them a, a bit of a, a visual reference as to what their coverage sort of will look like. The next tab then they can shell out to a, a, a little model that was developed, a little model which shows simulated coverage on a leaf surface, much the same as the water sensitive paper, but it just shows uh, you know, how it actually looks on an actual leaf. Right. And then after that, the fourth one, a very important one, is uh, it, it actually hands over, the calculator hands those parameters over to the ag disk model, and the ag disk model is then run, and um, it calculates the setback or buffer zone distance that they would need with those parameters. You're right, very detailed. So who was involved in yeah. developing all these various components? Well, good, good question. The first part, the actual droplet size calculator, the GRDC funded that, so we spent sort of three years in the wind tunnel generating all that data to uh, run that side of the model. The modelling of uh, coverage that was uh, conducted under an ARC project uh, that ran for three years, and the ag disk model, of course, I mean, that dates back to many years ago. It was developed by the, the US military to, to look at... Uh, the dispersion of sort of nasty things like uh, nerve gas and that type of thing. When the US military had finished with it, they gave it to the United States Department of Agriculture and Forest Service. Uh, so USDA Forest Service had uh, control of it for the last, I think, decade and a half or so, and they've done a lot of development with it. So the, so the calculator sort of, it, it sort of it brings together uh, work that's been going on for decades and decades from, from several different agencies. And so how do people get a copy of this calculator? The easiest way is, is simply to email us and, and we just forward it to them via email. My email address is simply c.odonnell, O-D-O-N-N-E-L-L, at uq.edu.au and we can forward it to them. But the one, the version we're distributing at the moment but doesn't actually include the ag disk part because we're waiting for the APVMA to... Uh, to put
put out their, their, their paper that actually you know, gives us permission to people use this approach and that hasn't happened yet it's been delayed for some reason yeah right so when you do get that approval will you be making it more widely available online yes we will uh we'll we'll make the full version available are there any further developments planned chris well yes uh there are jessica i mean there, there are several ways uh this model could, could be improved i mean we, we would like to have uh, like for example um, a smartphone app we'd also like to see it so that back on the very first tab where where farmers enter their um, all their parameters, that you they could do it in any order they like, rather than the drop-down order in which it is now presented to them. Uniquest, which is the University of Queensland's sort of uh, consulting arm, they are funding a little bit of uh, software development work on this calculator to get it towards uh, smartphone-type formats. Yeah, nice. Well, it sounds very exciting and a really great preview of the Australian Ground Spray Calculator and people will be able to hear from you in more detail at the Cropping and Resistance Forum on December 6th in Dolby. Thanks so much, Chris. Okay, okay, thank you, Jessica. Thank you to Dr Chris O'Donnell there for telling us a little bit more about the spray drift calculator. And if you're in the northern region or you have the capacity to get to Dolby on December 6th, you'll be able to catch Chris O'Donnell at the Cropping and Resistance Forum and he'll be talking about the spray drift calculator in more detail. And you can still get tickets from the RE website. Head to re.uwa.edu.au slash events. Yeah, well, spray drift is a particularly big issue in that northern New South Wales and Queensland cropping area because they end up with summer crops in alongside summer fallows so it'd be great to hear from Chris up there and also I really recommend any agronomists in the country who haven't listened to the webinar that we did with Bill Gordon it's definitely worth an hour of your time to tune in and have a listen to what he said in that webinar it's uh, it, I really learnt a lot uh, it was a really good webinar with Bill so recommend that people find it on the WeedSmart website and uh, take an hour of your time to have a listen. Bit of a change of pace Pete, we're going to be looking at harvest weed seed control technique next which can also kill sclerotinia so you get a two for the price of one if you're using uh, windrow burning because not only is it a great weed management tool but you can also kill the fungal disease sclerotinia stem rot and we're going to hear from Kyron Brooks he did some research when he was at CCDM which is the Centre for Crop and Disease Management he's now an agronomist at Landmark but he talks to me a little bit about this technique and how you get a really good result with killing the sclerotinia so it's quite an exciting development. Yeah well it is and I guess windrow burning is the tool because that's we're putting all of the straw and the residue into that windrow and a lot of the sclerotes I think are held in the stem of the canola plant aren't they? Yeah. So windrow burning does seem to be the harvest weed seed control of tool of choice if you're looking to get some control of sclerotinia so it'd be really interesting to hear just what level of control he has found with windrow burning. Alright well let's take a listen to what Kyron Brooks has to say about this research. How are you going Kyron? I'm well, thanks, Jess. How are you? I'm really good. So can you tell us a little bit about this research that you did with CCDM? So this research I did with CCDM was a part of an honest project in my final year at university. So we looked at trying to control the inoculum of sclerotinia, which is called a sclerote, which actually forms at the end of the fungal disease life cycle. And these sclerotes actually lodge within the stem of infected canola plants. And then we actually looked to see if we could actually capture these sclerotes and concentrate them into a windrow and, uh, and then torch them for, for full destruction, you know, exactly like they do for harvest weed seed control. 
Yeah, right. And so what did you find with the trials? Temperatures in excess of 350 to 400 degrees for a very short duration. Well, actually two weeks growth. Um, but as the duration increases to around our 80 second mark, we need a much lower temperatures, more between 150 and 200 degrees Celsius to actually destroy all steroids of, of any size fraction. Is sclerotinia becoming more of a problem for people? It is becoming uh, a lot more of an issue. It's, it's starting to pop its head up right across the state. It was traditionally probably more seen in the northern ag areas of Western Australia, but now we're seeing it pop up a lot more in the southern region. It's very environmentally driven disease, so... Um, but it seems to be getting away from that now. Not that it's not environmentally driven anymore, but it seems to be uh, popping its head up in the colder parts of the state and the south a lot more now. I mean, this is mainly for a few reasons. We're seeing a lot more intensive canola production um, right across the state, and then we're seeing those rotations in the paddock really shorten up to be a lot more intensive canola as well. So how did you actually come about taking on this research project? So this was a research that I sat down uh, with my supervisor at the time who is Mike Ashworth, who has done a fair bit of work with Harvest Weedseed Control with his time at Ari. He's now back working at Ari now. And obviously, that is something that Ari has really pursued over the last sort of 10 years, is this Harvest Weedseed Control. So he did a bit of work over at uh, the Centre for Crop and Disease Management. It was sort of Mike's idea to, to pursue this sort of research and see where we could take it. And funnily enough, we've come with some really good results at the end of it. I should also mention that my other research Supervisor was also Salida Bennett, who is still at the Centre for Cotton Disease Management. She's also following up with some of the findings that have come from this research. Yeah, excellent. So there'll be more news in the future about this space. So what would your advice be to growers who are potentially faced with sclerotinia? Would you suggest that this is a good win-win situation to take on board and consider doing it? Certainly, for growers that are already practising harvest weed seed control or wind row burning, it's just another benefit you can chuck on top of it. Yeah, so for the people that are already practicing wind row burning for harvest weed seed control, it's just another added benefit. And certainly you'd be able to capture those ropes and destroy them through wind row burning. The guys actually change their whole system to really start to weigh up what their system is. But in terms of changing your system to incorporate, there's still a little bit more research to be done so we can really uh, refine, refine this tactic to, to kill steroids or manage steroids but. It's certainly something that the future looks quite bright and it's certainly got some potential there. Definitely. Very interesting to hear a bit more detail on that research you did with CCDM and we look forward to hearing more about further results that come out in the future. Thanks so much, Kyron. No worries. That's good on you. Thank you so much to Kyron Brooks there for taking some time out. I know he's helping with Harvest and so it's an extremely busy time. Really appreciate him taking five minutes out of his day to have a chat with us about how narrow window burning can not only help with your weed control but it can also help you kill sclerotinia if that's an issue on your farm. Really good to know that there's a double win with uh, some of these techniques, Pete. Yeah, well, it's quite funny, Jess. I've talked people into windrow burning for about a decade, and now I'm sort of busy talking them out of windrow burning because we have all these other tools for weeds which uh, involve less burning. But we've got this work about sclerotinia with windrow burning and also from the frost guys saying that narrow windrow burning reducing the stubble load can be a positive in frost. So it's going to be really interesting to see how it all plays out and I guess the obvious thing is we may end up using a mix of the tools in the future. Yeah, depending on what you're experiencing year to year will probably potentially dictate what tools you end up using when it comes to things like harvest weed seed control potentially. 
Yeah, that's right. I mean, we work with weeds and we get caught up with just the weeds part of it, but there's obviously a lot more to the farming system than just weeds. And, and disease and frost are two other major factors for growers to consider. So, yeah, great that the research has spread out into those areas as well. Yeah, definitely. Well, that just about sums up the podcast for this week. We're running towards the end of the year. Christmas is nearly here. It's crazy. I know. I, I wished everyone a, a Merry Christmas this morning at the end of the Weed Smart webinar and I thought, oh my goodness, are we at Christmas already? It is. <laughs> that's the first time I've said Merry Christmas. I don't normally start saying it till December. but <laughs> Yeah, you're getting ahead of the big retailers, Pete. <laughs> I am. I don't let my kids uh, sing Christmas carols until December, so <laughs> I jump the gun a little bit. Oh, classic. Well, we did hear from Chris O'Donnell, who will be at the Cropping and Resistance Forum on December 6th in Dolby. So make sure that if you can go, you do go and you do need to get tickets. So make sure you head over to re.uwa.edu.au slash events. And thanks again, Pete, for being a great co-host. And we'll have another Weed Smart podcast for you in one fortnight. That's all, folks. Yep, and we'll see you in Dolby in a couple of weeks. Yes, I'm very excited. First time to regional Queensland. There you go. You're in for a a treat. (laughs) Great. See you next time.